Luke 22. I'm going to read uh, verses 47 through um, 52, 53. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and uh, so uh, we're going to look at uh, Jesus' arrest and betrayal this morning. And so, but we're going to read the passage from Luke uh, in Luke 22. It says, while he, Jesus, was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading the rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Let's, uh, let's pray together this morning. Lord, we are grateful uh, for the freedom we have in our country to freely and openly worship you. And so, Lord, we give you uh, praise this morning. And, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, as we come to your word this morning that we will be like uh, Samuel um, when he was there with Eli and heard a voice. And finally, Eli told Samuel to say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So may that be our mindset this morning, that we are um, listening and open and ready to hear and receive your word. Lord, we do pray for our nation this morning. We pray for uh, President Biden, Vice President Harris. We pray for our state leaders, our local leaders um, right here in Manchester. Lord, bless them, give them wisdom. May they seek uh, your wisdom as they lead and guide and direct. And then, Lord, we um, think of... Uh, many in our church family that would uh, like to be here this morning but can't because of um, health reasons. Lord, um, open up your word to us now, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we're going through the Gospel of John, we're in John chapter 18, and as I mentioned, it's, the, it's Judas betraying Jesus. And so uh, I want to think this morning about how to handle the pain of betrayal in our life. One of the most painful experiences in life is to feel like you've been betrayed. And I have to tell you that um, in this fallen world in which we live, you don't have to live very long until you experience some sort of betrayal in our lives. Perhaps all of us here have experienced it in one area or another. <clears throat> Uh, betrayal comes to us in many areas of our life. The, the word betrayal, the diction, dictionary definition, means to be disloyal, to deceive or lead astray, to divulge in a breach of confidence. Betrayal, as I said, can come in many areas. It can come in the area of finances. Maybe you made a contract with somebody and Sign their name, and they're supposed to fulfill that contract, and it doesn't happen, and you feel betrayed. I've told the story many times that many years ago, 25, 30 years ago, my wife and I <clears throat> loaned money to a college friend that was struggling. 
And I've since learned that um, a great way to break a friendship is to loan money to somebody. Just, just give them money if you can afford to. We couldn't even afford to loan the money, but we did. It was six figures, if you count the decimal points. And over and over again, this college student says, oh, I'll start paying you back, I'll start paying you back, and never did. Betrayal in the area of finances. Sometimes the betrayal comes in the area of friendship. Had a friend, thought they were a true friend, thought they could be trusted, maybe you shared something in confidence with them, and all of a sudden you learned the pain of betrayal, and you felt betrayed by a friend in your life. Uh, David felt that, the, the psalmist David in Psalm 55. He writes about it. And let me read Psalm 55, 12, 13, and 14. Here's what David writes. If an enemy were insulting me, <clears throat> I could endure it. <clears throat> if a foe were rising against me, I could hide but it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. David's writing about the pain of betrayal of a friend. And if you look back in the Old Testament, <clears throat> it was, he's probably referring to his right-hand counselor. His name was Ahithophel. And Ahithophel ended up switching allegiance from David to uh, to Samson and David felt betrayed by a friend. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe a betrayal in the area of family. Families are fractured today because of, of betrayal sometimes in, in relationships, and, and David experienced that as well. If you read the Old Testament, it was his own son who tried to overthrow the kingdom. His son Absalom, his own flesh and blood. Let me just read a couple verses from 2 Samuel chapter 15, and we can get the, uh, the flavor of this just to remind ourselves. Um, talking about Absalom, it says Absalom would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city. When anyone would come with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would say, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that they would receive justice. And verse 6 says, and Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And Absalom, David's own flesh and blood, led a coup, led a rebellion against his own father, and David feels betrayed by a family member. Well, betrayal in the area of finances and friends and family, but maybe the, the deepest betrayal is the betrayal of fidelity. I'm referring to, to, to marriage and the marriage covenant and the marriage vows in the marriage ceremony, we ask, uh, usually ask the question, uh, will you keep only unto him or her for as long as you both shall live? And the bride or groom says, I will. 
And then you take a vow, you take a promise for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And then the betrayal happens and you feel the perhaps deepest um, kind of pain and betrayal in life. Well, this morning we're going to look at John 18 and think about the betrayal of, of Jesus. Because Jesus was betrayed by one of his friends. It was one of the twelve. It was one of the twelve that he had spent three years pouring his life into and investing his life. And so um, let's look at John chapter 18 and uh, look at uh, the setting here from John chapter 18. Uh, when he had finished praying. So here's, uh, and before we get to John 18, let me just say that just a few hours before this, Jesus had predicted the betrayal. He, he was in the upper room, and they're observing the, the Last Supper, and they're, um, Jesus had washed their feet, and they observed the Passover, and then the Last Supper, and then Jesus says this in verse 18 of John 13, um, I am telling you now, before it happens, he's talking about betrayal, he who shares my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And so he just told the twelve, one of you is going to turn on me, one of you is going to betray me. And just a few hours later, it was happening. And so John 18, when he had finished praying, Jesus had prayed the high priestly prayer. It says, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. So uh, the setting is, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and it was a very familiar place to the disciples because Jesus and his disciples would go there often. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so here uh, is the setting there in the Garden of Gethsemane, very familiar spot to, to Jesus and the disciples, and um, the betrayal's about to happen. Well, let's look at verse 3, and we'll look at the soldiers. Uh, the soldiers in verse 3. <clears throat> it says, So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So here's the scene there in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's late at night, and Judas is leading a band of uh, Roman soldiers and religious leaders. It says the chief priests, that would have been some of the Sadducees. The Pharisees, that would have been a, a different religious sect. They were actually, they actually didn't get along. They were kind of enemies, but um, if a person is both of your enemies, you become friends. And so they, they come together out of hatred for Jesus. So there's religious leaders there. But I want us to focus on that word detachment, and this is the, the NIV. I'm not sure what your uh, version uh, might use for that word, but the NIV uses detachment. The Greek word is spira. It, it, 
is a technical military term. And it refers to a, a detachment of soldiers anywhere from 200 to 600 soldiers. Imagine that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's Jesus and Judas is leading this band of people and religious leaders. And there's 200 to 600 Roman soldiers to arrest Jesus. Perhaps a little bit of overkill. And so here are, they are carrying their torches, carrying their lanterns, carrying their weapons. And now um, we discover the secret plan. It's not recorded in John, but we can go to one of the other Gospels. Mark chapter 14 gives us the secret plan. Mark 14, beginning in verse 43. Well, let's start in 44. It says, Now the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with them, with the soldiers and the religious leaders. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. <clears throat> Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Well, there was a secret plan. Judas has already met with these religious leaders. He's already been paid off. He's been paid 20 pieces of silver, uh, betraying Jesus for money. And now the plan is, the secret plan is that uh, the person that I walk up to and kiss on the cheek, that is the one you're going to arrest. I heard a sermon on John 18 three or four years ago, and the title of the sermon was, That's Not What a Kiss is For. Betraying Jesus to the Roman authorities. Well, let's look at the sequence of events back to John chapter 18, <clears throat> verses 4 through 9. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the betrayer was standing there with them when Jesus said, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these go, men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of them you gave to me. John chapter 6, verse 39. So here's this conversation. Jesus asked the question twice. Who do you want? Who are you looking for? And when they say Jesus of Nazareth, the, the NIV says, Jesus translates this, I am he. Some of the other translations simply use the word I am. It would have been the words ego eimi, I am. And it says in the text, that when he said that, they, the soldiers, drew back and fell to the ground. Now, one of the commentaries, this one by Michael Card, uh, and let me read just a couple paragraphs because there's a couple of explanations of what's happening here. And here's what the commentary says. There are two possibilities of understanding Jesus' response 
He answers, ego, I, me, I am, or I am he. The divine and unspeakable name of God. The response of the soldiers can be interpreted in two different ways as well. If Jesus merely said, I am he, their response could have been a military one, best described as falling back in anticipation of an ambush. If, on the other hand, Jesus spoke the name of God, the reference to everyone falling on the ground is the prescribed response at hearing the unspeakable name spoken. And then Michael Card writes, I believe that perhaps we're seeing both responses. The Roman soldiers fall back in military style. The Jewish leaders fall down under the ground hearing the sacred name of, Jesus, of God, the name I am. Well, following that is the confrontation. Uh, the conversation, the confrontation in verse, uh, verse 10 says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants, um, cutting off his right ear. Imagine Peter taking his sword out when there's 200 to 600 Roman soldiers. But impetuous Peter takes that sword out. He begins swinging. He cuts off Malchus's ear. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Luke's account is very interesting. John doesn't mention it. But Luke, Luke's account does in Luke chapter um, 22 and uh, verse what verse is this here Luke 22 51 after Peter strikes off the ear Jesus answered no more of this and then it says he touched the man's ear and healed him that's a remarkable Remarkable scenario that here they're coming to arrest Jesus. Peter takes out his sword and starts wheeling it. He cuts off this man's ear. I don't know if it fell to the ground or was just hanging there. Jesus takes his hand, puts it on the man's side of his head, and he's completely healed. The amazing part of that miracle is it didn't phase those soldiers and the religious leaders one bit. You would have thought they would stop and say, oh, this man, there's something different about him. This must be the Messiah. No, they kept right on with their mission. That's because in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we read about our enemy. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. Why don't people that we share God's truth with, share the gospel with, and, and point very clearly to who Jesus is, why don't they accept Christ oftentimes? Because Satan blinds their minds and they can't see the truth. And so here they are, Jesus heals this, this, this uh, servant's ear, and it doesn't faze them one bit. They continue on with their mission. Well, let's look at the, 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 betra- the rest of the story of the betrayal, and it's the conclusion. 
And it says in verse 12, uh, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him, brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. And so Jesus is arrested. His hands are bound. And he goes to the, uh, the high priest for the first of what would be six phases of a trial uh, of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that's the story of Jesus' betrayal. And as I mentioned this morning, all of us in life have faced betrayal. And so I want to just spend the last 10, 15 minutes here thinking about how should we respond? How, how do we respond when, when we sense or feel the betrayal in, in our life? And so we're going to think about four different um, thoughts or responses that will help us this morning. So let's look at the first one. And it's this, responding to the pain of betrayal. Remember that betrayal is part of living in a sinful, fallen world. Why have all of us experienced this? <laughs> it's because we're living in a world that is uh, tainted by sin. And that's not the world that God originally created. He created a perfect world, a perfect environment where people had perfect relationships with one another and perfect relationship with God. And what changed everything? Sin. Uh, Adam and Eve's choice. They had total freedom in the garden and God put one restriction on them. And Satan came and deceived them and now we live in a fallen, sinful world. And so why does betrayal happen? Because we're all sinners, and we all sometimes face uh, the pain of betrayal. And so when betrayal happens, then we're saying, I can't believe they did this to me. Remember, we're living in a fallen world, and we all face betrayal. But secondly, remember that Jesus, as our high priest and intercessor, knows about and feels our pain. So when we feel like we've been betrayed, we need to remember that we have an intercessor, a high priest, his name is Jesus, who knows exactly, exactly how we feel. Jesus sensed and experienced betrayal in many areas of life. And we might think, well, he was Jesus. He was the Son of God. Well, remember Hebrews says, he was made fully human in every way just like we are, except he was not a sinner. There was no sin. So Jesus experienced pain. And uh, sometimes I think the, the pain of betrayal, the emotional pain of betrayal is worse than physical pain. And we're very sympathetic when physical pain comes and we, we pray for people that they be healed, and rightfully so, but, um, you know, what do you do with emotional pain and, and, and when you're, you're feeling this pain of betrayal? You normally don't go broadcasting it to everybody. 
But it's a deep pain, but Jesus knows that pain. Isaiah 53.3, it says he was despised and rejected by mankind. He was rejected. His own Jewish people rejected him. He came unto his own, and his own said, no, thank you. He came to his hometown of Nazareth, and they were ready to, they were ready to kill him. Isn't this the carpenter's son? He's claiming to be God. And so this Jewish people betrayed him. His own family betrayed him. His brothers and sisters did not believe in him until after the resurrection. In fact, at one time, Jesus was teaching and working miracles. His family showed up and said, uh, we're here to take charge of Jesus because we think he's kind of a little, needs some help. His own family rejected him. His friends rejected him. Betrayed by one of the twelve? We'll look at, we'll look at Peter's denial in a few weeks. One of the inner circle of three friends of Jesus and Jesus' most crucial moment. And what's Peter saying? I, I don't know him. I'm not one of them. And so remember when, when that pain of betrayal comes, that we have somebody who knows and understands, has experienced and feels our pain. Hebrews chapter 2, we already mentioned it. For this reason, Jesus had to be made just like them. Talk about the incarnation. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and high, faithful high priest that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4 talks about it as well. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are except without sin. And so when betrayal comes... When you feel like friends, family members have turned on you, we've got a friend we can go to who understands and feels our pain. And his name is Jesus. Well, thirdly, how to respond to the pain of betrayal. Um, and this one should not be a surprise if you know your scriptures. Read the New Testament. The scriptures say that we ought to regularly pray for our betrayal, betrayer. Regularly pray for our betrayer. This is part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's not, our, that's not our natural response. That's not our first thought. But Jesus says, when we feel betrayed, I want you to pray for your betrayer. Jesus did that on the cross. Part of the seven words on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the tense of that phrase, Father, forgive them, means that Jesus 
prayed that repeatedly. He prayed it over and over again. And so maybe he prayed it while they were driving the nails in his hands and driving the nails in his feet. And he kept praying and saying, Father, forgive them. And when he was on the cross, he prayed it. And so Jesus modeled this. Jesus prayed repeatedly for those who were betraying him and crucifying him. And so uh, we need to pray uh, regularly for our betrayer. Lastly, here's the fourth thought. Not only to remember that betrayal is part of living in a sinful, fallen world, and so it's going to happen to all of us at some point in time probably. Not only to recognize that Jesus is our high priest and he knows and feels our pain. The Bible not only tells us to pray for our betrayer, but fourthly, don't seek revenge, but release the individual into the sovereign hands of God. Don't seek revenge. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, the prophet Isaiah writes, he was oppressed and afflicted, talking about the crucifixion, Yet he did not open his mouth. The song, the hymn writer, old song says, he could have called 10,000 angels, but instead he died for you and for me. Jesus did not seek revenge. And that's what the New Testament instructs us to not seek revenge. Romans chapter 12, Paul's writing about our relationships with one another in the body of Christ do not repay anyone evil for evil. <laughs> See, this is, this is our natural response, our human response when betrayal comes is we, we want revenge. And Jesus says, no. I want you to pray. I don't want you to seek revenge. What I want you to do is release that person into the hands of God. 2 Timothy Paul's last letter, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 14, he mentions an individual by name. We don't know the background of this. Paul simply says, Alexander the coppersmith did me a great deal of harm. We don't know what he did. And uh, look at the rest of the verse. I'll read it to you, 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander, the coppersmith, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. Oh, that's a better way to handle it, isn't it? He says, I'm not going to try to plot revenge and try to pay this guy back and get him for what he's done to me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn him over to you, God. You are a just and sovereign God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18, 25. And so the last response here is not to seek revenge, but to release the individual into the sovereign hands of God and then rest and trust in him. And so Jesus was betrayed in the garden by his good friend. And John says he already knew it was going to happen. 
And we know the rest of the story. Trial, crucifixion, three days in the tomb, resurrection, 40 days of post-resurrection appearances. Now we hit the fast-forward button six or seven weeks, and it's Peter, the one who denied Jesus. Now he's preaching to crowds of people in Jerusalem. And he says in his sermon, this man Jesus handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. Did you catch that first phrase in there? About the, the, the big picture of the betrayal and arrest and crucifixion of Jesus? This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. This was all part of God's plan. Judas knifing Jesus in the back, so to speak, and betraying him. Guess what? That was part of God's plan for Jesus. It was part of getting him to the cross and dying for your sin and my sin. And so when I say don't seek revenge but release that person into the sovereign hands of God and trust him, we need to remember that God uses all things that happen to us, Romans 8, 28 and 29. For, for believers, for those that love and trust God, he works all things together, what? For his good, to accomplish his purposes, even the pain of betrayal. So the next time you feel and experience betrayal, and we probably will, as long as we're human and walking on this earth, remember it's going to happen to all of us probably because we live in a sinful world. We've got a Savior named Jesus that knows exactly how we feel because he's experienced it and we can go to him and, and uh, pour out our heart to him. We need to regularly pray for the person that we feel betrayed by and then we release them to God's hands and let God do his work in their life and in our life. And by the way, there is one person, one friend that will never betray you. Proverbs says there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother he always keeps his word, always keeps his promises. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He's available 24-7. His name is Jesus. He will never let you down. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, Lord, there's probably not a one of us, not one of us sitting here this morning that has not felt the sting and the pain of betrayal at some point in our life. Lord, thank you that, um, that we can remember that um, you too experienced this. Thank you that you are a um, sympathetic high priest that knows and feels our pain. Lord, I pray that uh, when that um, be, when the pain and sting of betrayal comes, Lord, that we'll remember how to respond. 
We won't seek revenge, but we will pray for our uh, betrayer. Lord, we won't seek revenge, but we will release that person into your hands. And Lord, um, we're thankful that we have a friend uh, who will never let us down. He's always a promise keeper. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. He'll provide for our every need. Ever, every need. And he will never, ever let us down. And so, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, um, may um, some healing, perhaps in hearts this morning, happen to some who may still be feeling uh, the sting of betrayal. Thank you that you're a sovereign God, that for those that put their faith and trust in you, promise to sovereignly work all things together for good, even the pain of betrayal. And so we thank you in Jesus' name.